chases me down, fights till I'm found. He leaves the 99. Mm, mm, mm. This is the way God chooses to love you. He leaves the 99. Father, we bless you. We praise you. And we honor you in this time of worship. We bless you in this moment of reverence. We humble our heart because we know when you're in the room. We diminish our ego, our personality, because we know you're in the room. There will be no one on this throne but you. No one at the top but you. No one in the front but you. Because you're in the room. In this, we say thank you. Why would you be in this room? Why would you choose this moment to be with us? You've made it clear that there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after us. So let your reckless love fall on us this morning until our hearts are transformed, until our thoughts are renewed, until we are more like you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Somebody put your hands together and say amen. Listen. Listen, we're here, so grab your Bibles. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We will take offering after I preach, and we'll do announcements after I preach. Um, we're just here. So... If you're here, you might as well not go back there. Amen? <laughs> That's a message right there. If you're here, you might as well not go back there. So we're here. And sometimes we just kind of let the Spirit of God shift us and move us. And if, if he messes up the way that we try to orchestrate church, I think sometimes when Jesus, do you remember when Jesus told the children of Israel, uh, the uh, Pharisees that challenged him for, for telling a man to get his, uh, or excuse me, for healing a man on the Sabbath. And he said that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, like the, the Sabbath is here for me, not me for it. <laughs> he said I can rearrange the order of stuff anytime I'm ready to rearrange the order of stuff, all right? So let's, let's jump into the word of God. First Corinthians 13, if you got it, shout I got it. I need a second. Say, hold on a second. I want to finish this teaching um, that we've been doing for the last four weeks um, about the problem with love. And I want to read a set of scriptures that's, that's really common. Um, most people in this room have read it and been a part of, of studying this text of scripture. Also, um, even literary and contemporary uh, writers and even, even the ancient writers have used portions of this particular set of scripture concerning love um, uh, as a way to express 
the way that love expresses itself. And this is what the scripture says in the fourth verse. It says, love suffers long and is kind. I'm reading from a New King James. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I even thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to look at somebody and say, love the way Jesus loves. Love the way Jesus loves. Now find two more people for the Son and the Holy Ghost and tell them, love the way Jesus loves. Love the way Jesus loves. Father, we do bless you, and I thank you, and I give you the praise, God, and I pray that over these next few moments you would minister to us, that you would release the anointing to make us receive and absorb the gospel again, that you would anoint me to preach a gospel that honors you, that challenges your people, but encourages them at the same time. Father, I thank you for your presence in this moment. And I give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of God. Smile at somebody. Tell them it's just church. Just church. It's just church. Um, um, the worship was so powerful. We were in the back screaming. I don't know if y'all heard us screaming at the worship team in the back. I was like, man, we, I got to be quiet. Or they're going to hear the echo coming off the wall. The worship was so powerful. And we give God such a, such a praise for the worship. Let's give God a hand praise for our worship team. Listen, what, when, when we're all rolling out of bed, at, or when some of you all are rolling out of bed at, at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, to get here at 10 o'clock, they are here at 6.30, 7.30 in the morning, tweaking their instruments, doing their sound checks, trying to make sure that we have a tremendous worship experience. Uh, so let's one more time give, it, give God a hand praise for the band, for the worship team. God bless you. We appreciate you all so much. Sister Angie's just been doing a phenomenal job. I was teaching. Uh, yeah, she's been, she, yeah, been doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And one of the things that we prayed for in our pre-service prayer today was that they release themselves to just be in worship, release themselves to just be. And, and, and I'm believing, God, that the house, this house that we're in, that we would find that same freedom in the presence of God. 
right in your seat, right in the balcony, downstairs, wherever you're hearing, that you'd find that same kind of freedom in Christ Jesus. Because we're not the stuffy, you know, church, and not that there's anything wrong with being stuffy. We are the personality church where, where I, I want you to express God the way God created you to express him. And so long as you're not disruptive, you know, we give you space to honor God. So we give God a praise for them for creating a pathway for our praise and a pathway for our worship. Amen? Amen. So uh, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, real quick. We've been doing a series called The Problem with Love. And, and today I want to talk about loving like Jesus. Somebody shout, loving like Jesus. Yeah. So it's the way that Jesus loves becomes, uh, is a... Uh, a very unique um, uh, conundrum with the way that we think and generally operate as people. Um, the idea of understanding the way that Jesus does anything is, is really futile because he works against consciousness and he works against sensibilities. He works against emotions. Jesus just kind of beats to his own drum. And what do I mean when I say he beats to his own drum? When you get to make the rhythm, you get to beat to your own drum. And we have to find ourselves in the rhythm of Christ. And because the world that we are in today, the, the, the world that we're in today, um, is not uh, a world that follows a Christ path, sometimes what you hear as it relates to Jesus and the way he does things seems so counterculture to reason that it's hard to follow it. The problem or the issue with that is that Christ's way works. Jesus' way works. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' way works. Amen. I thought I was at a Christian church. Um, his, his way works. The reason why uh, academia and psychology has to continue to update itself every 10 or so years is because it doesn't work. It has to continue to recalibrate itself to find itself within the, line, the lineage of which God has created man to operate. And in various moments and times, our academia and our study and our doctoring, it finds itself on course and then we get smarter than we should be. And then we not, you know, so God gives us a remedy and it's called the word of God. And he's trying to help us understand the way that he loves and the fact that the way that he loves is, such a, is so counterculture to the way that we've been taught to express love that we have to continue to teach the concept and the ideas of love so that we can see and measure if we are loving the way that Christ told us to love. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. You are a human being. And the person next to you is a human being. They might act like an alien, but they are human. The person next to you is a human being. And I want you to understand why I'm saying that. Because as if you are human, you will hurt somebody. Human beings hurt one another. That's what we do. It's whether it's consciously, whether it's subconsciously, whether we mean to or don't mean to. Human beings, the, exp the experience of a human being will lead you to a space where you collide with other human beings' ideas, ideals, concepts, the way they do life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we will collide. You will hurt somebody. You will also get hurt by somebody. That is not spiritual. It's called life. Tell your neighbor, deal with it. We cannot fall and crumble and become less than who God has called us to be because life happens. I'm going to say that again. 
You cannot become a lesser version of who God has called you to be because life happens. When life happens, God still expects you and I by his power and the aptitude of of the Holy Spirit, he expects us to uphold the standard of who he is or who he's called us to be rather even when life happens. The challenge with life happening, the hurting and getting hurting and being hurt and, and, and uh, being the offender of hurting people is that God also, while you're hurting, calls us to love each other. He calls us to this thing called love, so much to the degree that it is, uh, we oftentimes try to describe what love is because love is really undescribable. Love is a conundrum. Love is a, is a convoluted uh, mix that has, it is, it is something that God has put into the earth so much to the degree that God says that I am love. I am the love. Love is not a thing that he gives you. It is himself that he gives the earth. God's love is the grace that he gives the earth to be able to do life with one another when we crash, when we ultimately hurt each other. God, so much to the degree, God says that love is not going to be something that is studied. Love is not going to be something that you just emit. Love is going to be something that I am. I don't just have love. God says I am love. God is love. Somebody shout, God is love. God, he is not the, the love. He is not love expressed. He is love. And love is convoluted. And love is complicated. And love is not easily understood. And love, when you love the way that Christ loved, it will mess with your world because God will tell you to perform love even though your mind is saying that what I'm performing love for is not worthy of the love I'm about to give it. Because they're, and God tried to help you understand as soon as you start saying that I'm going to take love and I'm going to quantify love with the behavior of the person that I am loving, you've already missed God. God says my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and I don't equate behavior with love. I don't create actions with expressions of my love. Somebody shout God is love. It becomes even more complicated because God is complicated. We have come by the wisdom of God into being saved and and salvation. And salvation became an easy thing because God decoded himself enough for you to say yes to him. But you don't pray enough to know how God operates. You don't fast enough to know how God moves. You, uh, You don't come to church enough to be able to determine every way that God is going to move and maneuver himself in the earth. None of us operate that way. There would be no need for you to pray if you knew what God was going to do all the time. So God, God remains a mystery outside of what he has revealed himself. He remains, uh, he keeps a portion of himself so that there can be a revelation of himself. Watch this, so that he can express his love for us. Pastor, that's real complicated. What is it that you're saying? Is that in order for you to love, there has to be an expression of vulnerability toward the thing that you're claiming you love. So God holds a piece of himself. He has to get you in relationship with him. So he, 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 he puts his amazing grace on you to say yes and amen to him. And he withholds a piece of himself because there cannot be love if there is no vulnerability. So now as you go through your journey with God, he opens himself up to you and makes himself subject to your ridicule of the way he does his godness. I'm going to preach whether y'all ready for this or not. He makes himself vulnerable because, and you cannot love properly without vulnerability. 
You are never more vulnerable in this life than when you have chosen to love someone. When you make up your mind that I'm going to love the way God loves, it requires a nakedness of your person, of your personality, of who you are. All the stuff that you've got covered up has to start to come out if you're going to love the way God loved. I wish I was talking to somebody in here. And it's in the vulnerability of being, of, of releasing my secrets and sharing my thoughts and putting out where I don't want you to see. In which it, that's what makes me put the brakes on how deep I can move in my love. So God says, I'll show you vulnerable. I'm going to come out of heaven. I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to let them strip me naked, beat me to a pulp, put me up on a cross, and I'm going to have the world look at a Jewish man who by all all risk, the, one of the highest orders of, uh, of insult to a Jewish person is to be stripped naked and left exposed in which Jesus was. He said, I'm going to let them strip me naked, expose me, put me up on a cross and kill me and be vulnerable for you so that you can see that I love you. Somebody shout vulnerable. I got to be, God says in order for there to be love, there has to be vulnerability. And you're never more, you're never more vulnerable than when you have chosen to love. And this is the concept of love. So now love uh, is countered, uh, the, the, we contrast over the last couple of weeks, the love of God versus the love of the world. And the love of, the, uh, love of God and the love of the world is not about exposure. Love, to choose to love someone will expose you. When you're ready, you will be exposed when you decide to love. Love exposes you. It pulls the covers off of you. The idea of how to love someone is not wrapped up in the exposure. It's wrapped up in how you handle the exposure. When someone loves you, there are one or two ways that you can deal with, with a person that is exposed. We learned this last week with Noah and his two sons, no, uh, three sons. Noah went and had, uh, he, he, he drank too much and got drunk, and he fell out in his garden and in his tent, and he was, and he was naked. And, and, and I don't know how much it takes to drink for you to be butt naked, but he was butt naked in his tent. Because he drank too much. His first son comes in, watch this, and sees his father exposed. He walks out after having taken the exposure and the vulnerability of his father, and he shows how he understands love. He went and ridiculed him to his brothers. His other two brothers knew and recognized the same exposure of his father. But instead of ridiculing, the Bible says that they took a sheet and they walked into the room backwards and they covered his nakedness. When you love something, you got to get naked. When you love something, you have to expose the raw of what it is and who it is and what it really is and who you really are. But how, who you choose to let love you back is all indicative upon how they handle your nakedness. One of the children comes in and he doesn't know how to handle the exposure. The other one comes in and it covers the exposure. Now make no mistake about it, he's exposed. But you've got to be careful who you give access to your nakedness to. And you can't let that be determined because your heart has beat three times. Because you, can, because you can let somebody in the room and see you exposed and they will take what they have witnessed and do what the first brother did, which is handle your exposure with immaturity. And this is what God is trying to get us to understand about love, is that in order for us to be loved, we've got to be naked. 
But who I choose to love, you're going to have to determine and help me understand how you're going to handle what I'm about to show you. Because if we're going to grow in intimacy, i got to show you some stuff about me. If we're going to grow to the next level, i got to show you some stuff about me. And the world, we have so bruised one another with our nakedness and our vulnerability that we try now to love, I said this in the first service, we try now to love in the dark. I'm going to talk to our over 18 crowd here in a few minutes. Is that when somebody chooses to have, to be, to be, to love, somebody shout love. When you choose to love, it requires a nakedness of sorts. And in order for there to be true relationship, there has to be intimacy that is associated with nakedness. There can be no true intimacy without true exposure. There can be no intimacy without nakedness. Stay with me now. Because I'm metaphorically speaking now. There can be no intimacy unless there's nakedness. The problem now is that we have, we have misaligned the space of where we can be vulnerable and be naked so much to the degree that we are fiend for love and we fiend for a space where we can be naked. But because we don't know how people are going to act when they see the blemish, we try to be intimate in the dark. God, help me in this play. We, so we cut the lights off to our relationship. We cut the lights off to our marriages. We cut the lights off in our friendships. And there is real, there is no authentic exchange of intimacy because we feeling and touching and enjoying, but we're not seeing. And if you don't see, I, you don't, I don't know you really love me until you see the stuff I don't want you to see and you stay with me. God, help me in this house. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen to. So we, we proverbially cut the lights off so that we can get love, but we really haven't given all of ourselves to determine if they really love us or not. And I pray to God that you find the kind of friendships that you can be yourself around. I pray to God that you find the man or the woman that allows you to do life with the lights on, allows you to be who you are with all of your wrinkles and all of your dents and all of your extra stuff that you wish you didn't have. You want to find somebody in your life that says, I'll take all that. Baby, you ain't got to cut the lights off. Keep the lights on. It's not going to change the way I pursue you. And watch this, God is the kind of God that sees all the stuff that you don't want any of us to see, but he recklessly still pursues you and chases you down and say, bring me your attitude, I still love you. Bring me your mess, I still love you. Bring me your hurt, I still love you. You can expose yourself to me. I wish somebody give God a quick shout real quick. I... I, I wish you'd give them a quick shout because what is happening in the body of Christ and what is happening with one another is that we come to God expecting the blessing of true intimacy, but we won't even pray our real brokenness to him in prayer. We're so ashamed in prayer that we won't tell God what he already knows about us. And God is saying, I can handle you naked. I can handle you vulnerable. I can handle what you don't want me to see. I'm trying to prove to you that I love you so much that whatever you bring to this table, I can deal with it. Church, your neighbor say, God can deal with you. God can deal with you. He can deal with you. He can, why? Because he loves you. 
He can deal with you because he loves you. He can deal with you with your crazy self. He can deal with you with your trifling self. He can deal with you with your penchant for going back to the hood self. God can deal with you with your hip, hip, uh, 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 hypocritical self. He can deal with you with your religious self. God can deal with everything about you. The stuff that people will walk away from you from, God says you can show it to me. And every now and then, see, you don't get to have the kind of worship that we desire in worship services by giving God a piece of who you are. What real worship allows you to do is God says you don't have to check all your mess at the door when you come into worship. In fact, you got to bring it in with you. I don't want a falsified version of yourself. I don't want a religious person in worship. I don't want a phony and a pious person with worship. I don't want a stiff person. I want a person that says I messed it up, but you still love me. I blew it, but you still invited me in your presence. God says, I want that kind of person to come because that kind of person got to come boldly before the throne of grace. I remember watching this lady at the grocery store one time. I, I, we had this little little um, uh, a quick shop by our house, and, you know, everything costs close to the price that they put it on. You know, it's one of those things that if they said it's a dollar five and you only got 98 cents, they just take it and be like, go on, you good. It was one of those stores. And I remember standing in line one day and this lady, she rolled up and she, she didn't have the money, but she had like a, a, a bag full of stuff that she had took up to the counter. And she stood in line with the rest of us. She walked up to this counter and she's one of them people that you see all the time. She, she do this, all, you know, one of them people that you see all the time. There's always that person, you see them all all the time. You don't know them, but you know them, and you know what is about to happen. She walks up to the counter, and she's got a, a handful of stuff. She puts the stuff on the counter like she had money in her pocket. She let the person scan all the stuff like she had money in her pocket. The person put them in the bags before you had to pay for bags like she had money in her pocket. The lady said it's going to be, you know, $25.32. She pulled out her little $7, $8 she had. She put it on the counter, looked the lady in her face, and the lady looked out and say, go and take all that stuff. Hey, watch this now, because when you've got the dough, you don't have to use boldness. You use your money. And when, but when you don't have the money, it takes a bold individual to walk up to a counter and say, I ain't got it, but you're going to give it to me any kind of way. Hey, see, this is what the Bible means when he says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Some of y'all too perfect, and you come to God with your righteousness on your shoulder, and that's why, and you think that's bold. No, 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 no. It's the one that messed up last night that said, I got to get up and get to the house of the Lord, even though I blew it. Even though I know I'm short, I'm going to wake up and get to the house. That's some boldness to come to the throne. God's like, oh, you must think I can fix that, huh? You must think I can deliver you from that, huh? You must think I'm not. Where are my bold folks at? Open up your mouth and make some noise. I'm bringing who I am. I'm bringing what I got. I'm bringing who I am. I know I, I just, I got looked at a picture of my wife. He said, Fletch, you outkicked your coverage with that one, didn't you? I said, I sure did outkick my coverage. But guess what? I went up to kick because I went boldly after what I believed that God called for me. And even if I was short, I was going, it was, it, the, 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 God, yeah, I knew who I was. Even though I might not have had what I wanted to have. I knew who I was. 
And what love says, what love says, somebody shout love. love. What love says, love says, turn on the lights. Love says, God says, you're not going to get me in the dark. He says, and I don't want you in the dark. God says, you're not going to get me in the dark. I came down, I went to a cross, and I had him strip everything off of me publicly. So I want you to understand that, that you got me naked. I went to the cross. I got naked for the cross. I showed the ultimate expression of love. You're not going to get me with the lights off. Jesus, help me. God's like, you're not going to get me with the lights off. I, I, I had the lights on, and I had the lights of the world looking at me. I was exposed before the world. I had the weight of sin. My father turned his back on me because of the sin that was on my life. The whole world ridiculed me and saw me. And, and, and you're going to come into my presence, and you barely going to give me yourself? You're going to come into my presence, and you're going to act like you belong here? Cut the lights on. And with your feeble self, see him. Cut the lights on. God says, I can handle you. He said, I don't care what you're about to show me, it's not going to make me run away. He said, I don't care what you think. I'm thinking, I'm not like them. Like, he said, I'm not, I'm not like who rejected you 10 years ago. And I'm not like your mama who didn't want you. And I'm not like your father who, 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 who didn't know how to handle you. I'm not like your crazy uncle that touched stuff that he shouldn't have touched. He, says, and he said, but, you, but, you got, but if there's going to be relationship between me and you, you're going you're gonna to have to turn the lights. So, because I can handle you. Love, God's love can handle everything that you are. He, watch that. He can handle everything you've done. Everything you've been through, he can handle you. He still wants you. God, that's good to know. God still wants me. Now watch this. I pulled three things out of the scripture that I want you to see as it relates to love. And I pulled three things out that we don't talk much about. Because, I, because before we leave here, we've got to talk about loving the way that Christ loved. And, and while Christ did love sacrificially and Christ did uh, love uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a way that is grace-filled, I, we go through this text of scripture and we miss um, some of some things that are real important. So I pulled out three characteristics of love, three expressions of love that Christ did to us that Paul tells us we've got to express to the world so that the world can shift and the world can change and the world can be more like Christ. I pulled out three of them. And I want you to, I want you to put your finger uh, uh, on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to keep your, your notes and prepare to take notes on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The first thing that the Bible teaches us about love is he says that love is patient. Somebody shout love is patient. Say it again, shout love is patient. In order for you to understand what he means when he says that love is patient, you got to understand uh, uh, that, that, that we don't really do it justice by calling it patience. How many of you have a King James Bible, a new King James Bible? How many of you read out of it? It says that love is long-suffering, right? It says long, love is long-suffering. That is the better word other than patient because it exhibits the heart of the writer better than the word patient does because patient makes you think that love just waits. But that's not what God is trying to express to us. God wants us to understand that love long suffers. Love long suffers. Love long suffers. Somebody shout long suffers. Say that loud. Say long suffers. 
Love is long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. Love suffering. Love suffers. Love suffers. Love suffers long. Love suffers long. Love suffers long. Love don't cut you off just because you did it. Love suffers long. Love is long suffering. Love suffers. Love suffers. When was the last time you let something you love make you uncomfortable? Watch this. And you did it for a long time because love suffers long. That's what the Bible says. Love doesn't quit just because you got on its nerves. Love doesn't walk away just because it wasn't the way you was hoping it would be. Love doesn't, doesn't change its mind. Love suffers long. Love stays in the box when it's not comfortable. Because there, to a degree, love is not even being proven until it starts some suffering. Oh, God, I wish I was preaching to somebody. Love, love is not, you didn't really prove to me that you love me just because you said you love me because we ain't been through nothing yet. Love has to, so God brings suffering, watch this, he brings suffering in your life to prove to you that he'll never leave you and that he loves you. But he also brings suffering in your life so that you can test the love of everybody around you. It is not a matter of if you can hang with me, but can you suffer with me? It is not a matter of if you can reign with me, it's can you suffer with me? Can you, can you stay with me when I'm not at my best? Can you deal with me when I'm going through a horrible season of my life? Can you stick by my side when I'm not my best version of who I am? Or will you allow these preachers to gas you up and tell you the, the, the hip thing to do nowadays? Cut these folks off that are in your life. You're going to mess around and cut off folks that God have assigned to your destiny because you don't suffer long. Somebody shall suffer long. Now the imagery around suffering long is a pot that has a fire underneath it. And it's the idea that this pot of boiling water can go from zero to boiling as fast as the fire is high. And the idea of the imagery that is being taught here is that of a low fire. Not a fire that's turned all the way up. It's a fire that, has, that is a low fire. And even though it takes the water a long time to get to a boil, that is what God is trying to express here. Or what Paul is trying to express here is that when God chose to love you, he chose to love you naked. And he chose to love you exposed. And he chose to deal with you exposed. And sometimes when a person exposes themselves, all of themselves to you, it's hard to deal with what you start learning. It's hard to deal with what you start to figure out and what you start to find out and what you start. It's hard to handle it. And for many people, it's like, hey, I'm done. I can't deal with this. I'm straight. We're just going to be friends. I'll holler at you on the rebound. But, but God says, before I let you get on my nerves, I'll turn my fire down. He said, before I let you run me off, I won't let the fire go up to, 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 to boiling. And at the boiling point, I'm done with you. I'll turn the fire down. And even though I'm suffering, I'm, I'm putting my, my hand on my attitude and I'm putting my hand on my temper and I'm putting my hand on my anger and I'm putting my hand on all of the stuff that I could be calling you out on. I'm going to let the fire burn slow because if I love you, I can't go from zero to I'm out of here overnight night I have to let it burn like Joshua said let it burn let it let it let it let it burn let it burn that was Usher right let it burn hey man it's been a minute I've been saved for a while going up on three weeks now <laughs> 
You got to let it burn. Because, because there is a disposition of love that says that when I, when I choose to love you, I'm also choosing to deal with the stuff that, that, that you're going to do that's going to get on my nerves. I have chosen to accept all the stuff that you're going to do. Watch this. And the stuff you did in the dark that made me say yes. Now that the lights are on, your soul still got to say yes. Jesus, help me. Am I helping anybody in here? Am I helping anybody in here? All right. So love has to be patient. Somebody shout, love is patient. Another, the second thing I want you to take your eyes and look at is the Bible said that love thinks no evil. Somebody shout, love thinks no evil. Now, I need you to understand what he's saying. He's not saying that love doesn't think about bad stuff. That's not what he's saying because bad things happen all the time. What he's saying is that when he says love thinks no evil, a better translation of that is probably in the, new, in the, in the NIV version where he says that love keeps no accounts. And this is what God is trying to help us understand. He says that I take all your sins. This is what he says in Isaiah. I take all your sins and I make them as far as the east is from the west. He says I take all your sins and I throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. He says I will take your sins and I will remember them no more. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that you don't sin. He's just saying that when the, when the sins come up to me, I deal with them and then I throw them as far as the east is from the west. When the sin shows up, I throw it into the sea of forgetfulness after I deal with it. When the sin shows up, I will not know it anymore after I've forgiven it and I've dealt with it. And this is what God is saying about love. In other words, God is saying that when I talk, when I think about love, all of the things that can make me not love you, when I deal with them, I am not taking them in, dealing with them, and then putting them in the ledger, putting them away so I can bring it back out the next time we argue. God, help me in this place. He said, love it. He said, I'm not taking an account of all the times you offended me and all the times you hurt me. I'm not taking into account all the times you turned your back on me and walked away from me. He says that I'm not keeping a ledger in the drawer that I can pull out at another time and show you how good I am and how bad you've been. The devil is a lie. You do not get to express love and then keep a ledger of all of the unloving things that will make it hard for you to express the love that God told you. God said that I take your stuff, I deal with it, and I'm done with it. Jesus was the freest person in the world because Jesus never walked around with a list of people's offenses on his shoulder. He never walked around with offenses on his shoulder because what happens when you carry your offenses on your shoulder is in a right now moment, you will get ready to express in a now what you wish you would have expressed in a then. Jesus. And, what, and the problem is, is that the person now is not who did it then. But if you never forget and if you keep the ledger, the person in your now is going to deal with what they did in their then. And it's not fair to have to deal with now, with a deal right now with then problems. I'm not the one that touched you. I'm not the one that said you couldn't be it. I'm not the one that withheld the funds for you to get to the next level. But if, but if you keep a ledger, if you keep a ledger... You always carry the offense. And whenever you carry the offense, the offense is like a weapon. I grew up in a neighborhood where some of the guys, they used to carry weapons. I never wanted to be around a person that carried a weapon because a weapon ends all fights the moment you decide to use it. But it has a consequence for ending a fight 
quick, fast, in a hurry. There should be some steps that are taken before we get to the place where you're in the fight in that manner. But if you have a weapon, we'll take the easiest path of resistance to get to the end, which means that we forget all of the conversating, uh, 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 the dialogue, the coming to an understanding, the, the fist part of it. The, that we forget all of the things in the middle, and we go right to our weapon that can end it right away. And this is the way offenses are. Offenses are just like that weapon. Offenses are the thing that you know that you can end everything and every dialogue and every conversation and every disagreement right away. All you got to do is pull out this weapon. And, and all of the, the, the compromise and conversation and forgiveness and da, 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 all the stuff that's in the middle, we pick the path that is the easiest path of resistance. And God said that I love you so much that I don't want to pull who you used to be out after this redeemed self you're trying to be. You're trying to be better. I don't want to pull out who you used to be because that's not loving. So I can't carry it because when you get on my nerves, I'm going to want to throw it in your face what I delivered you from. So what I do is I take what I delivered you from and I put it into the sea of forgetfulness so that every time you deal with me, you're dealing with a God that can love you in your now on top of who you used to be and not bring who you used to be into your right now. I wish I had some help in here. He said, and if you're going to love, you've got to love with no accounts. I'm so grateful to God. I'm so grateful to God that God don't say, well, in, in 88. <laughs> I'm, so I'm so, God is so amazing that he said, he said, God don't look back and say, listen, 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 you're trying to sing now. I saw what you did last night. But now you're talking about forgive me, but, but in 91, we ain't dealt with that yet. Don't come in here kissing up on me in worship now. We ain't dealt with 99 yet. Yeah. God says, I love you so much. This is what conviction is. You want to know what conviction is? Conviction is God dealing with your stuff now. That's the beauty about God. God doesn't wait years later, weeks later, like we wait for each other. We don't say nothing, don't say nothing, don't deal with it, don't deal with it, don't deal with it. I just feel like this. There should be a rule. Like if you don't deal with it in two weeks, you got to let it go. I just made that up, but I feel like there should be some kind of rule like that. Like if you, I, I just feel like if you, don't, if you don't deal with it within a certain amount of time, you don't get to retroactively pull out your punishment for something that you didn't want to deal with. So what conviction is, conviction is God touching your heart, and it makes your heart kind of go sullen for what it is, where you've made a mistake. And we call it conviction, but what it really is is God dealing with it right now. Most of us, when we're convicted, we say, good God, I'm sorry. Most of us. I was going to say, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did that. Holy Spirit, would you forgive me? Golly, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it like that. And then if we really say, we go and tell the person, like, hey, I blew it. You know, that's what we do if we really sanctify it. I'm working toward that. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm sanctified this week. Um, so he says, so, but... But God says with conviction, that's what conviction is. That's God's way of saying, oh, you offended me. Bam. You, hey, what are we going to do about this? Oh, man, I'm sorry. And God says, okay, it's cool. That's, that's the end of it. That's the way it operates with God. But we got to be careful because when we express love, we have a tendency not to do that. We have a tendency to take the offense and bag it in our back pocket for another day. And sometimes even after we've dealt with it, it's still there. 
Jesus, help me in here. I speak over your life that you're delivered from every offense that you haven't dealt with yet. I speak that over your life. You ought to open your mouth and give God a praise. Every offense you haven't dealt with yet, I speak over your life that God would deliver you from it and you can let it go. Now you're going to ruin somebody's life that's been going on for the last 15 years, didn't even know that they offended you. You've been mad for 20 years over there, and now you want to bring something back up from, what is it, 19, 1989. You want to bring it up. Can we deal with this? Because I never got by it and never got past it. You mean to tell me you carried this hurt and anger and inability to love me on top of all of this for 20 years? For two years, for two weeks, for two days, this morning. So love, he said love, love doesn't think, love doesn't keep an account of it. Thinks no evil means keep an account. Number three, somebody shout number three. three. Love believes all things. Somebody say he believes all things. Say that loud. Say love believes all things. I want to give you a better way of saying that as well. When he says that love believes all things, he, he, he is not saying that love uh, goes blind to what is happening in front of it. It's, what he's saying is that love will always believe in the purpose in which God called the thing in which you're trying to love. That, that because you made a mistake, God never stops believing about you. He never stops believing what he spoke about you. God doesn't let your mistakes diminish his idea of who you are. God doesn't let our, our mess-ups, our flub-ups, he doesn't let them diminish what he thought about us. And this is the power of love, is that love is an interesting dynamic, is that if love is going to believe all things, then what he's trying to say is that when we, when we are not acting like the person that he created us to be, he never stops believing that we'll become the person he created us to be. He doesn't diminish himself. He doesn't lower his expectations of us. He doesn't pull back and withdraw himself from us. God keeps calling us to the, the standard by which he created us with. God never lets you off the hook because you've fallen astray or you made a mistake. God loves you so much that he continues to speak about where you're supposed to be as opposed to speaking about where you got stuck. God, I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. If you can take your mouth off of where I got stuck and start speaking about where I've got to go, then maybe I'll get unstuck. But I'm ensnared by your words. That's what the Bible said. I'm locked into my now because you won't let me out of my now. But if you'll start speaking toward my destiny, I'll get out of my now and meet the standard of the word that has been spoken over my life. God says, I love you so much, I'll keep calling you to the next level even when you act like you don't want to go. Somebody I'll shout amen. Woman at the well, I mean uh, the woman that was caught in adultery. The Bible says, the Bible says she was, she was caught in adultery. They dragged her out into the temple. And every man had picked up a rock getting ready to stone her because stoning was the penalty for adultery. And the Bible said that Jesus came out and he was watching what was taking place. And he was looking at the men and he was looking at a guilty lady. And he was looking at the men and he was looking at a guilty lady. And Jesus never said anything about the lady's guilt. And neither did he say anything about the men. The Bible says what he did is he just kind of kneeled down in the dirt. And he started writing something with his finger. That's what the scripture says. 
he started writing something with, the script, with, with his finger. The theologians take the story from there. And the theologians said that what he started writing was the open sins of everybody that had a rock. <laughs> he started, and just when they was getting ready to strike her for having a sin, they looked over and saw they sin in the dirt. And they was getting ready to, but they realized that if I strike her for her sin, I cement my sin on the ground. And the Bible says that, that as each man saw his sin, they threw the rock down in the ground because they realized that I'm not a whole lot better than she is, given the fact that somebody told me about myself. And if nobody would have told me about myself, I would have been self-righteous and judged somebody. But the reality of it is we all got stuff. It's just that we saw her stuff, and he had to reveal to me my stuff. God help me in this place. But God is the God that sits in the ground, and he says, you can go ahead and throw the rock. He said, but I am the God that can erase all this out the dirt, or I can leave it there and let everybody else see it, and you'll be next having rocks thrown at you. And they chose that I will judge not, least I be judged. So they dropped their rocks and allowed her to go on about her life. Jesus walked over to the lady, and he says, well, where are the people that were about to judge you? Where are the ones that were getting ready to stone you? She said, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. He said, I don't, I don't know where, where they went. They just dropped their stones and they left. And this is the beauty about Jesus. Because while Jesus didn't uncover her, he didn't uncover them either. He didn't say, cuz, that's why they left. Because I, I called them on their stuff. That's not what he did. He he said, I covered, he said, I covered you and I'm covering them. And watch what he does, though. He does something that we oftentimes miss. He looks out and he says, now, daughter, go your way and don't sin anymore. Y'all missed that. That's what I'm going to tell you all again. She, she is an adulteress. She is sentenced to death. She is sentenced to death by stoning, by Levitical law and by, 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 by natural law. She is now about to be executed. By stoning, I can only imagine how hard stoning and how bad stoning hurts and how long it takes for you to die by being, having rocks thrown at you. She is about to be stoned here now, and Jesus said she is guilty by all stretches of the imagination. She is an adulterer. She is now a harlot in their eyes. She is a prostitute in their eyes. She has sold her dignity and sold herself for a night's pleasure. She has given up the best of who she is. She is a woman, for Christ's sake, who was supposed to position herself and be chased. She is put now at, against the wall to deal with all the stuff that she could deal with. And the question is, is there a love that can cover that kind of person? Is there a love that can still believe in that kind of person? Is there a love that can still tell that person that you can make it and you can be somebody? When they dropped the rocks, they did not affirm her destiny. They just helped her stabilize in her right now. But Jesus got up and said, you're not just stabilized in your right now. You are a daughter to me. I'm going to restore what they took away from you. They called you a harlot. I call you my daughter. God help me in this place. You made a mistake of a harlot, but you 
you've got the dignity of my daughter. I love you even though you made a mistake. And this is what God means when he said that love believes all. I'm not letting you off the hook. You still anointed. I'm not letting you off the hook. You still are called for this job. I'm not releasing you because you failed. I am the God that loves you and I will speak to your purpose even when you act the worst of who you are. And every now and then, when you get ready to, to throw the stone at who's exposed, when you get ready to, to toss who has been exposed, before you toss with blinders on, take the blinders off and make sure nobody writing your stuff on Facebook. I mean, before you do that, make sure, make sure... Everybody's post is clear about, about what you did last night and who you was with last night. Because, because that kind of love, that kind of love, when, you, when we give it the way the world gives it, then, then we end up needing somebody to believe in us. And God is the kind of lover that believes in you. So Peter, so Peter, so Peter. I know you've sinned, and I know you've run from me. What are you doing out here on this water? I, I, I told you that I had given you an anointing, that, that I'd given you keys, and whatever you bound on earth, it would be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven, and I gave you keys that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Why are you out here on this water? Yeah, I know you denied me three times, but help me understand something. Why, why are you in this water? And Jesus stands on the side, and they don't recognize his voice because he's far away from who he should be next to. But watch what love does. Peter, take the net and put it on the other side of the boat. Love blesses who has rejected it. And the Bible said that more fish jumped in the boat because while he was running away from his destiny and his calling, he was fishing but couldn't catch nothing. I could preach that right there. For all of y'all that are running from your destiny thinking that you're going to catch something, and, and you keep throwing your net and I'm going to be this and I'm going to try this and I'm going to do this. And God is saying, I told you who you're going to be. But you determine that you're going to make your money and you're going to grind and rise. And you, got da, 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 and, and you keep putting your, 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 your net in the water and you keep coming up with nothing. And God is saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. You can keep dissing me, but you're not going to get nothing. And God said, but I love you so much, I've got to find a way to get you from there to here. So I'll bless you. Cast your net on the other side. They cast their net and they realize that, oh, my God, that's the voice of Jesus. Peter jumps in the water. Jesus is like, what are you doing in the water? You've accomplished everything you should accomplish in that boat. You went out there to get fish. I blessed you with fish. Now bring the fish and yourself back to me. He starts working. I'm like, he has to come back wounded, naked, vulnerable. You can turn the lights on. I know where the stretch marks are. 
Peter, do you love me? Of course, yes. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. No, no, no. You cannot be asking me to do that after what I've done. Peter, yes, Lord, do you? Do you love me? I do love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. He, he can't be calling me back to the level of anointing. That's not what he's doing, is it? Because I messed up too bad for him to be restoring me to my place that he always saw me. Peter! Yes, Lord. Do, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. you, you, you I just, it was just a mistake. It wasn't, I, didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to, it wasn't what I was trying to do. It, was, it just happened. It came to me. I wasn't, the first thing that came out of my mind, Jesus, Jesus, the same way I didn't say a word about the lady, I'm not saying about you. Just feed my sheep. If you love me, Accept what I believe about you. Because I love you enough to believe about you what I said to you when I first called you. And your mistake and your fall and your death, none of those things are going to stop the way that I've chosen to love you. Because love believes what was said. I want to pray. I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for the people in this room that are saying, you know what? I got to get myself together because God has been really patient with me. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand. I've, got to, I've got to get myself together because because this is too complicated for God to not keep a ledger on me and he keeps loving me and, and, and he's throwing away the ledger on me, but I keep packing one and stacking one for everybody else. I keep, I got loads of the way people have offended me. I've got cabinets full of the people that have done me dirty and have offended me. I've got, I've got attitude for days to deal with the people that have, but, but you don't deal with me like that. I got to get myself together. I got to get myself together because I thought that after I fell, I thought that after I stopped coming to church, I thought that after I walked away from the clergy, I thought, I thought that after I made my colossal personal moral failures, I thought, I thought that because I wanted to be rich and not be anointed, I thought, I thought you'd, you'd walk away from me. I thought you'd no longer want to deal with me. I thought altar workers come on. I thought you no longer want to stand by my side. But yet while I sleep, you keep calling me to a higher standard. Yet while I sleep, you keep saying, I still believe in you. While I sleep, you keep telling me, son, son, you're the one. 
I have not forgotten what I spoke over your life. Daughter, I haven't forgotten what I've, and everybody might want to throw a stone at you, but I'll cover you. I'll cover you. I'll cover you from everybody with a stone. You're exposed before them, but I'm going to cover you. I am going to be like the two brothers that understood the value that was on their father's life. I'm not going to expose you, but I'm coming to cover you. But, but what I need you to do is I need you to do like Noah. When you come to yourself, I need you to get back in line and get back on post and accept how I called you. Complicated, yeah? How can a God love me, erase my ledger, and still believe the best in me? How in the world could he ask me to do that for one another and to do that to this world that we live in, do that to this community that we're in, do this to my neighbor that's next to me? How in the world? How in the world? I don't have to know. But it's the love of Jesus. The only way this happens is the love of Jesus. You're not going to learn this in a book. You're not going to will yourself to do it. You've got to decide. Holy Spirit, fill me with your spirit so that I can love the way Jesus loves. Fill me with your spirit so that I can experience life free of having the ledger of people's offenses always around me. Free me and fill me with your spirit now in the name of Jesus Christ. Because, boy, when this thing, when this, when this love thing, when you get a glimpse of, of, like, this love thing, when you get a glimpse that you can walk into the room and you're around the person that you can be yourself around, good, bad, and indifferent, and know that when you wake up in the morning that it's not going to be tallied against you, walked against you. When you walk back in the, in the room that the, your friends are going to be like, hey, we still love you. It's all good. There is something that is liberating about this thing called love when we do it right that the devil does not want to see liberated people because when people are liberated, they praise unabashedly. When they're liberated, they take care of each other unabashedly. When the people are liberated, they can forgive false unabashedly. And when there's forgiveness, there's power. And when there's power, the devil is defeated. And God's people have to start loving the way that God loves and allowing the power of the Holy Ghost to empower us. Because this kind of love you're not going to get in the book. Oh, oh I, that, that's not true. You're only going to get it out of this book. Amen. You only go get it out of this book. I can write till I'm blue in the face, but at the end of the day, when you pick this thing up and he says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God, I need that greater thing because right now the world is squashing my joy. When I look and he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in me? God, you're in me. I need this power to come out of me so I can love my loved ones and love my, my haters and love the people that have hurt me and love myself for hurting other people. Oh, God, I wish I had some help in this place. When, when you've got the kind of love where you can love yourself like that, whoo, when you can love yourself like that, everything around you better watch out because you're going to be able to love it and there's nothing it can do about it. That's the kind of love God has. I want you to lift your hands all over this building. If I was preaching to you today, I was preaching to you today, Pastor, the worship was powerful, Pastor, the word was powerful, Pastor, the fellowship with the brethren was powerful, I'm, but I still need someone to sit with me and to pray with me, because I need to forgive other people, I need to forgive myself, 
I need to see me the way you see me. I need to learn to receive your love that, that it's okay to love with the lights on. I, maybe you're saying that's me. I just need a little prayer with that. I invite you to come down to the altar. We love to pray with you. It doesn't have to be fallout, drag out, but we just want to stand with you. We want to pray with you because you've got something that the world needs. You're the answer to somebody's issue and somebody's problem. Inside of your belly, you are a connector of anointings and a connector of ideas that will radically shift and change the way this world is done. You are the glue to your family stand together. You are the winner. You are the one that God is going to bring and use to draw sinners back to him. It's you. It's you. It's you, sir. It's you, ma'am. And we've got to get this love thing right. I want to love, and I do love. But God's saying, but I want you to stop loving in the dark. You got to love with the lights on. He said, you got to love with the lights on now. It's to see. The, and this is what Paul was saying. Paul said that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, what Paul is saying is when I was a child, I loved with the lights off. 